everyone. This is Dr. Pillay, and it is my pleasure today to introduce you to Leah Garvin. Now, Leah Garvin is a leader at Google, and she plays various roles. Uh, she's played roles in the operations area. She's done work with the human capital area in terms of all kinds of things, inclusion, uh, helping people feel like they get the right experiences at, at their organization. Um, but today we are excited to talk to you, Leah, about the world of work and the transitions that are happening for so many of us. So as we jump straight into that topic and also, spoiler alert, you're writing a book. I want to hear all about that. <laughs> but before we jump into that topic, could you just lead us straight into what the big problem is. And then from there, we'll come back out and talk a little bit about how you fit into that world of problems that we have today. What's the big problem today? Yeah, so thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Um, and, and the, you know, as you mentioned, I've, been, I've done a lot of work on diversity inclusion and on, on helping teams and organizations operate effectively. And I think the biggest challenge I'm seeing um, is, you know, all of these transitions we've gone through, through the pandemic, moving from what felt like two weeks working from home. And this is to caveat people working from home specifically, that's the experience that I've had. And, and my, my perspective working from home two weeks, then it was two months, then it was six months then it was a year then it was 18 months. And it's like, and I feel like we haven't really marked each of these transitions. And, and my hypothesis is that this is fueling some of the discontent that's fueling the great resignation. So mm. that is my challenge. I want to solve is, how to support people in wanting to stay or wanting to come back to work. Because um, I think we can only sprint a marathon for so long until we say, okay, you know, I gotta, I gotta do something else. Like this is not for me. So that's, yeah. that's what I want to tackle. <laughs> that is a very big problem to to tackle. And I have to say it's, it's a, it's a powerful concept. This whole, the great resignation. I mean, literally this is happening right before our eyes. And as you said, we're not really tracking this very well. It's sort of just occurring. You know, it reminds me of the boiling frog phenomenon. You know, when you put a, a frog in, in cold water and you slowly raise the temperature, uh, the frog will not jump out because it doesn't know that it's dying. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's almost like you're saying this great resignation is a problem that maybe we're not really getting a grasp on. Is that true? Exactly. And I mean, I, I was reading 4.3 million people left jobs in August alone. I mean, <laughs> that was like a couple of weeks ago. Basically, yeah. we're, we're totally in the midst of it. And, and what was surprising to me was, you know, after people started becoming more vaccinated, after things were opening up, this is when people started leaving more and more. And it, it showed me, hey, wait a second, as things start to return, if we will, we'll debunk that today, <laughs> return to normal or to kind of go back. That's this, this still kept happening. And I think that was really surprising to a lot of people. To your point, we're in the midst of it. And are we doing the right things we can do to be, to be preventing it and to be welcoming people back and, and making our teams and, and companies feel like destinations? Yeah. Leah, tell us a little bit about how you became chosen for this role, <laughs> for the book you're going to tell us about. Yeah. What in your life story or your business uh, uh, path brought you to this point where this topic is so important and you're the person to solve it. Yes. Ooh, well, um, I'm a non-engineer working in tech, which is an interesting experience, 
which has um, given me a unique lens of, you know, first, where, where can I add value in a space that you can feel a lot of imposter syndrome, or should I be more technical, or should I have gone this other path? And um, my roles in tech have been shaped around, um, like I said, team operations, program management, driving programs, deliverables, schedules. And, and what I kept seeing team after team was the things getting in people's way from being successful, finishing their work, finishing things on time. It wasn't like they weren't working hard or they didn't know what to do. It was the interpersonal stuff, all the people things that were happening under the surface. Right. And I kept bringing them up and saying, Hey, wait a second, this thing's late because these two people didn't talk to each other or because these people roles and responsibilities aren't clear. And in my early career, I was told, Hey, you know, focus on the work, not the people stuff. And mm. I didn't agree. <laughs> I did not agree. And I think after doing um, working deep in product teams for for you know many many years, I said you know I need a pivot. I want to take another lens. I want to prove this hypothesis that if you figure out um, you know how to create more inclusive environments, how to get people talking to each other, that they will then work better. They will work, deliver higher quality products. We will all just like be better off holistically. And um, so it, it's funny, I, I still work on the tech side. I kind of do what I call rogue HR, uh, mm. <laughs> working within the, the tech teams, like it, within product teams, because it really establishes some credibility and trust that I understand the unique, the unique struggles around product development and product design. But I know that at the surface is that if people aren't talking to each other, if people feel excluded, like that's going to get in the way of everything else. Mm. What a powerful perspective. You know, uh, it reminds me of another analogy. Boy, I'm full of uh, analogies today. <laughs> but you just made me think of, uh, you know, the, the, the goose and the golden egg. You know, it's, it's like yeah. most organizations, as you've said, are focused on the golden egg, the outcomes, the sales results, the marketing results, the business results. And they forget that they got to take care of the, gold, yeah. the, the goose, the people, Right. Um, and, and you're basically saying that the central theme of, of your work has been, how can I help people understand the importance of people? And of course, you've earned that credibility because, you know, you do speak their language, but you want to help them start to speak people. Yes, <laughs> right? exactly. Exactly. And that is, you know, gleaning what I've learned from all my different experiences in these challenges, actually the foundation of my book that you mentioned, I will show gives people a sneak yeah, peek yeah um, unstuck we'll talk about that unstuck. i want to talk yeah. about that very soon yeah no no so, that, um, that's yeah i mean it's the collection of these things that kind of keep happening to us that we don't realize are really getting in the way of the bigger things like you say we're, we're focusing on one thing when the other thing is really getting in the way from being successful yeah you know if i may ask is there a mindset difficulty and i'm sure it's not only engineers uh, or you know business people or programmers, but is there a mindset block that doesn't allow people to see that they're, all the intangible relationships they have with each other are the business? <laughs> like, that's the whole point. Like, why mm -hmm. is it that we don't see that? I think I, I love that question. I mean, I think there's a perception that focusing on the interpersonal dynamics is slows us down, which could mm -hmm. not be more of a myth yeah. Like anything possible, because when we're not on the same page, we go the wrong direction. We have to do so much redo work or we find out another team is doing the exact same thing as we are like a few doors down. Yeah. And, and I think um, the mindset myth is really that focusing on people makes us go slower or it's not important or that it's somewhat secondary to working on, you know, 
that it doesn't have anything to do with business results. And, and I think it's becoming more and more clear that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but, but when people want to move really fast or when kind of anything else comes up, it can go by the wayside. And this is what I saw happen at the start of the pandemic was a lot of work around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging was kind of put on the back burner. We felt mm-hmm. like we were in survival mode. And I heard many companies kind of tabling things around inclusion thinking, well, oh, we can't have you know, team, team socials. So we'll just wait on doing this. And, and my mentality is inclusion is about how we work. It's, you know, the other stuff, and I think we'll talk about this later is, is secondary. And so if we're in survival mode, so to speak, that's when we have to be including more than ever. And again, it's that mindset myth that somewhat, um, ensuring people are included is an extra thing that yeah. we then only do when we have like all the other things covered and a little bit of extra time on our yeah. hands. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of how, you know, the, the, the first areas that usually get cut in organizations when things are tough are areas like development of people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? When it's like, you think, wait a second, the people are the ones that will get anything else, you know, created. Why yeah. not keep, focusing on getting our people better. Yeah. Let's exactly. let's shift a little bit and maybe define clearly how change could happen. And we'll get yeah. to the specifics of how you propose change, but what's the path from here to there? You know, we, we kind of know the problem now. How yeah. do we get out of it? Yeah. I mean, in terms of this theme of marking transitions, I think, you know, you know, somewhat back to the mindset shift question is that this is all temporary. I think we need to sort of make peace with that. There is a lot of unknowns. We will continue to be in a period of unknowns because even if we, let's say, you know, think things go back to like a somewhat state of normal and I'm not going to use that word really, but um, next week, well, you still have to figure out what is hybrid work, work look like, where are people located? People are generally not located all in the same office. They might be all over the world. So you're still yeah. having remote interactions. You're still having some days, People are in office versus at home. And so I think thinking that we'll get to some phase that is done is, is like the opposite of the mindset we have to have. And so I think mm. what, what this roadmap looks like is first accepting we're going to be in an experimentation mode for the indefinite future. And, and I've been researching a lot about Gen Z um, and the workplace and behaviors. And it's interesting because Things like flexibility, purpose, wanting meaning in your work, wanting um, both work flexibility and location flexibility, wanting an inclusion-centered company. These are things that that generation wants. And so what we're being pushed to right now, it's like we were pushed faster than we thought we would be, but it Mm -hmm. was inevitable. And so I think getting on the train of this was already coming, we have to think differently about how we're working, um, how we're thinking about these things like purpose and flexibility and inclusion and making them a priority because people are not going to come back if, if those aren't values and they're not going to join as these generations get more into, um, you know, in entering the workforce either. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned a a very powerful phrase uh, when you said inclusion centered um, companies, right? And, you know, I, I think there's a definition out there in the world that puts inclusion almost exclusively in the diversity camp, um, you know, in equity and things like that. But it sounds like you have a wider definition around your use of the word inclusion, which may even be part of the, your book. But, but tell us, what do you mean by inclusion? 
Yeah. I mean that as exactly as you're saying, it's, it is just the way we work. So when we think about how we run meetings, we think about how we make decisions, obviously how we hire, but it was sort of every aspect of how we operate that it's, it is a core priority. Like in many companies, like making money would be, you know, <laughs> like that this is the point of the work. And um, there's, there's actually um, three aspects to inclusion that I've found to be when these things are true, people feel like they really belong. And, and first that's having access to information and, and being part of the decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, you're hired to a team for a reason and that's to be in the know and to be able to contribute. And often it's the perspectives of people there are fewer of in the room that we need to hear the most because yeah. they're going to challenge assumptions. Um, so the second one is being encouraged to take risks. And, and this is the foundation of psychological safety. And, mm. and it's, it's recognizing that the cost of mistakes can be higher for people in underrepresented groups. So we need to make it even safer for people and not have a hyper scrutiny around mistakes or looking for things to, to kind of nitpick on. Those are drivers towards imposter syndrome that we can really, we have full control over not contributing to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing that I see that really fosters sense of inclusion is recognizing all kinds of work not letting a team or company fall into this A team, B team situation where there's like the glamorous work that everybody knows about and sort of cleanup quality and customer service work sometimes is sort of, you know, behind the scenes testing different, different kinds of work isn't always, it's celebrating all of it again, because we're all here for a reason. And, And that's the way that I propose organizations think about inclusion is thinking about those three foundational pillars and then we can add the pizza party and the free t-shirts like, after that's done. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say that was a masterclass right there um, that, uh, I mean, for me, that's worth it. I'm done. I got it. <laughs> like, that's powerful stuff. I really like your focus on recognition and not just recognition of the people uh, that, you know, appear to be the, the in crowd, as you said, but spread out the recognition and, and make it a culture almost for, for all of us so that we all can feel feel included. I think that's powerful. Now let's get into the nuts and bolts of possibly your solution, your perspective as reflected in your book, which is titled Unstuck. Tell us about your book. Yeah. So my book Unstuck is about um, reframing our thinking around the patterns and people that hold you back. Sometimes that's our colleagues, sometimes that's ourselves. And it's about how, you know, I've overcome common challenges in the workplace through using this mindset and perspective shift of looking at a challenge through another perspective. And I mean, that's what I'm, I'm suggesting we do around transitions and around um, you know, this great resignation is thinking about how else can we look at this and not thinking, oh, people will come back once you know, we return to normal or using even the word return, right? It's thinking, how else can we, can we tackle this? And so in the book specifically, I'm, I'm looking at challenges like giving and receiving feedback, decision-making, comparison, sharing a lot of personal examples of things I've struggled with. Maybe didn't go as well <laughs> the first time around. Um, so it's kind of a fun take on that, but also offering a lot of solutions on, you know, well, how to move forward and how to make these things easier for ourselves. Um, and, and I think as we approach, you know, this sort of inclusive team environment, like we've been talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, a place I often start with is just working norms, right? And if you say, you know, let's look at this next phase of a transition, let's say it's the first month as we tackle hybrid work, Mm -hmm. just like call that its own phase. We say, we're going to experiment with learning 
How do we want to make decisions in this first few weeks where we're getting settled? How do we want to include people in meetings? Do we want to introduce, you know, a meeting facilitator that's looking out for, you know, when people in the room are contributing versus people on a video conference, people Mm -hmm. like kind of moving forward, trying to get their, get their word in edgewise versus coming off and on mute and raising their hand. Yeah. It's like, all these cues. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm here. Yeah. I got something to say, or they, you know, they're leaning forward. (laughs) Like there's little things people do that we don't always notice that can bring people, invite them in the conversation. And I think, um, again, there's, there's marking, let's intentionally establish some phases and then talk about meeting norms and talk about decision-making operating norms, really. That would be the biggest suggestion I would have for teams is to not think it's one and done. Like we're going to see a lot of change over the next six, 12 months as people settle in. Mm. I mean, I know I'm based in the Bay Area. People were commuting like three, four hours a day to get to some of these jobs. And Mm -hmm. they're not doing that anymore. And what does that mean? You know, it's just like a whole new world. Yeah. You know, Leah, what I like about your your approach is that you're talking about a paradigm shift here. You're not saying, let's take a little step over here. You're saying, let's just review everything and reframe um, this whole thing. I mean, look at, you know, if you go back to the history of paradigms recently, the iPhone, right, changed everything, or even Tesla changed everything in, in certain ways. And so, um, you're saying let's let's look at drastic new paradigms. Um, just before we go past to the topic of your book, would you mind holding up holding it up again? Ooh, yeah. So that <laughs> people who are watching, so it's it's unstuck. And what's the byline again? It's twelve common challenges women face. C- complete that for me. Yeah, it's reframe your thinking to free yourselves from the patterns and people that hold you back. Ooh. And it explores twelve common challenges women face in the workplace. Awesome. Awesome. So I I highly recommend, and I'm going to go check it out because I think you say it's coming out in March. Yeah, it's coming out March, 2022 um, and available right now on Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble for pre-order. And and you can learn more on my website as well. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the solutions you've experienced. Do you have any stories or fun anecdotes that you've actually been a part of where you helped people go from A, which is everything's bad. We're not feeling included. We can't handle this transition to, wow, there's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Do you have any stories you can share? Yeah. I mean, my work centers around talking to people and listening to them. And so um, last year I was working with a team that um, managers got a lot of intel from, from team members that they felt like they could not participate in meetings. Like there was large team meetings where a lot of animated voices, I think 30 or 40 people trying to make decisions around priorities. It was, it was really hard, especially for new team members. Yeah. Um, and so I started by running a series of focus groups with, with this team to talk to first pairing people across that don't typically work together. So mm. I ran like about 10 focus groups of this that were about four or five people who don't typically work together, different levels, some were managers, some were non-managers to get people talking about what their experiences were. Mm-hmm. And, and that act alone actually unlocked so much new information for each other and, yep. and more shared empathy on, on what each other was going through. I mean, a lot of managers felt like some of these meetings were working great because, you know, people were, they were included and they were yeah. getting to decisions and, and new team members felt like, oh my God, it's horrible. I, I don't even want to go to these. Um, yeah. And so first it was about sharing perspectives. 
Um, and then meanwhile, I was capturing key themes and takeaways. And I summarized all my findings and, and then hosted a workshop with the managers on that team to say, hey, hey here's the real stuff we heard. Um, and, and what do we want to do about it? And we identified two or three small things. I think a lot of times teams, you know, when they want to make this paradigm shift that I'm suggesting, think mm-hmm. they have to change a million things at once. And then it's too overwhelming and we don't stick with it. And it's yeah. like, okay, actually, let's just do nothing because <laughs> the other stuff was too hard. And so what I'm suggesting is teams take two or three things to start with. You know, you have a backlog, you can keep chipping away at it and change those things. And, and I think these teams introduced, um, this one team introduced having a meeting facilitator that looked at, look out for what we're talking about, where someone's raising their hand or unmuting, inviting them in the conversation. Um, and then collectively as a group, asking people to use more um, physical cues that they were paying attention and listening. You know, sometimes in these big meetings, 90% of the people's videos off and you feel like you're talking into a void and that can really make you uncomfortable to contribute. And so as a team, they collectively said, you know, we're going to be making eye contact with the camera, showing our hands, showing that we're not looking at our phone over here. Um, and that, that level of engagement um, created a huge positive change across the team. Um, and then when surveyed again, about six months later, um, the managers found that it was just a transformational difference on the team. Um, that people felt like, wow, I can really participate. I know people are listening to my ideas. I know how to contribute. I can, you know, it was just, it it was incredible. I was so excited to see that just a few shifts. I mean, I'll tell you, I wanted them to change 10 or 15 things at first. But but you got the the good ones in there, right? Yeah, but we stuck with the smaller things and it made a huge impact. Yeah, Yeah. no, no, that's really exciting to hear. In fact, in our world, the work proud world, we, we did a study that showed that this concept of people feeling proud of what they do and of the company they work for can affect the, their engagement, their sense of engagement. And so, as you said earlier, if you can recognize people, include people, all of a sudden you help them feel pride in their work yes. and, and, and in being part of that team. Can you give us your perspective or further perspective on things like engagement and happiness and all of these sort of cultural things that everybody knows is important, but it's like nobody knows where to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, why I love this concept you're talking about is because this is what people are finding in analyzing why people are leaving, that people are wanting purpose and meaning. And that's what really fuels long-term happiness. And I think it's covered in um, Adam Grant's new book, uh, Think Again, about um you know, sort of fleeting happiness versus happiness that really sticks. And yeah. when it's really about what matters to us, you know, not just that we got a like on a post, but something that's yeah, like yeah. really deeply meaningful, um, we have that feeling of happiness for a longer time. And so that's what, what you're talking about. We need to have in the workplace, people feeling proud, people feeling engaged, people feeling like they have a sense of meaning makes them want to stay. And honestly, yeah. I would say that really is the key to bringing people back in the workforce and to sort of slowing down this great resignation is helping people connect with why what they're doing matters mm-hmm. to the organization yeah. and how to connect what they love to do to their work. And mm-hmm. so, like I was saying, for a long time, I didn't know how to connect my passion for people, dynamics, and organizational culture to program management. It felt like mm. two different things. Felt like, okay, I'll work on the schedule and then I'll like talk to the people later and see how they're doing with it. 
Mm-hmm. And then I shifted it and I said, okay, I have to bring my passion into how I work and that fueled the engagement. And so um, to your, to, to what you're talking about, I think the key there is for managers and teams to help people like excavate what are the things that really matter to them mm-hmm. and support them in tying those to their job in the ways that's possible. I think there's a lot more possible than we realize. Wow. You've just defined something. I don't know if you realize it, but you've defined what I call profitable happiness, which is to, to bring the things you're passionate about into the things that produce profit. So it's not about, you know, follow your passion or abandon everything and go follow some passion. No, it's about saying, okay, I'm passionate about this. How can I bring it in, bring it along in the things that make me happy? And if we help people do that, I mean, you see my guitar over there? See my guitar right here? Yeah. It's not going anywhere. I do this uh, with yeah. my work, right? I'm, I'm, you know, professing what I'm passionate about. And it really does make a difference, doesn't it, for individuals yeah. to, to find that passion and connect it, as you've done, to their work, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you find you get the highest output out of people because they're feeling in a flow state. And you can maintain this flow state for an indefinite amount of time. And you yeah. might even be willing to do that three-hour commute for it because you feel so engaged, right? You're thinking of ideas and you're excited as opposed to thinking, oh my God, why am I in the freeway, right? Yeah. Like you get a complete shift in people when you tap into that engagement. So yeah, I, I, I really love the concept of probable happiness because like you say, we're sort of trained to think work is work and happiness is something else. And yeah. it's just not the case. Yeah. Or, or work is this, and there's this thing called balance yeah. <laughs> with life. But it's like, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Leah, I can't wait to read your book. I'm going to go uh, pre-order it. You. And, um, you know, I really wish you the best in this endeavor. I'm a, I'm a student of the things you're talking about, and I'm a follower of your wisdom. So thank you so much for, for being here. How can people find you, connect with you, learn more, and get your book? Yes. Ooh, well, um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Leah Garvin um, or check out my website at leahgarvin.com. So um, I think that's the easiest way to get in touch to see what I'm working on, to pre-order the book, um, get in touch about workshops, things like that. Or again, LinkedIn's a great place. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you give me the, the link to your Amazon page where people can pre-order it, I'll have that in the show notes as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Uh, awesome. Leah, thank you so much for just an awesome, cool conversation. And I wish you the very best. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. It was really fun. 